Alright, well last week we looked at the theme of honoring marriage as God's design from Hebrews chapter 13. And this week we're going to continue in the book of Hebrews, the next couple of verses there. Um, I, was, I was encouraged last week as I had a few people uh, raise their hand and stand up who, to see who's been married here the longest we had. Uh, one, one guy stood up and had been married 25 years, another couple that was here 33 years, and then I saw Wilson online who, uh, he said 35 years, and so I thought it'd be appropriate this morning to tie in the message from last week and the message with this week on Christian contentment with an article that ABC News did in 2012 of a couple who had been married for 80 years, Okay. 2012, they did a report. Their names were um, John Batar and Ann and Ann Batar, and they were interviewed as to what are what's some advice that you would give to a young young couple. They, this was a couple that had five children, 14 grandchildren, 16 great grandchildren. Uh, they had been Ann's father had arranged for her to be wed to a local man in Bridgeport, Connecticut. But her heart had already belonged to another, John Batar. And she and John eloped in Harlson, New York, because, as Anne said, we didn't have any money to go farther. The people, people told them it wouldn't last, and that was more than 80 years ago. The couple was still happily married, and they each offered some simple guidelines for building a lasting marriage. John said this. He said, get along. Compromise, live within your means and be content and let your wife be the boss. And Anne countered, we don't have bosses. Um, I, I, I've heard that with uh, those who've been married for a long time. It's kind of a, uh, a funny way of saying uh, defer to your wife, you know, um, compromise in a positive sense. And, and there's some give and take. She said, don't hold grudges. Don't hold grudges. So here's a couple. Here's some advice from a couple who had been married for 80 years. I think there's some good, good things there. But one of the things he emphasized, John emphasized, was live within your means and be content. Be content. Be content with what, what God has provided for you. Be content with your spouse. Be, be con find contentment in the circumstances of life. And as I was, I was preparing for this message, I saw the connection between Contentment, those who find contentment in God and in, in, in what God has provided and those who are faithful within the marriage covenant. I see a close connection there between those who are unfaithful and those who are discontent within the marriage covenant. Hebrews 13, 4 says, honor marriage. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And then he goes right into this next exhortation in um, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 he says keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said I will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper I will not fear what can man do to me and all God's people said amen so this is where we're going to camp out this morning we're going to camp out on this these two exhortations within and promise within the, these two verses. There's two imperatives, two commands, exhortations, and there's a loaded promise here 
for the Christian to find contentment in whatever season of life they find themselves in. The big idea is simply this, is that God calls his people to guard against covetousness and find contentment in all that he offers us in himself. God calls his people to guard against covetousness and find contentment in all that he offers in himself. Okay, so the first exhortation here or imperative is to keep your life free from the love of money. I think the New King James says covetousness. Guard against the corrosion of covetousness, the corrosion of the love of money, that, that gnawing pressure on your soul that's always saying, I want more, I want more, I want more. I think it was Rockefeller who was asked, how much do you think it will take for you to be happy? And he said, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And oh, how deceitful riches and wealth are. They seem to promise us security and happiness and significance. But, but if, if you study and you read about those who have everything that this world can offer, you'll find that, that many of those people who have it all in this world are miserable, are miserable internally. And so the, 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 the wealth of this world does not promise happiness. And so the author of Hebrews says, guard your life, keep your life free from the love of money. The Apostle Paul says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It leads to all kinds of ungodliness and all kinds of painful, broken circumstances. So keep your life free from it. It corrodes your soul when you allow discontentment to develop into envy, into covetousness. And love for stuff. It corrodes the soul. And we have uh, many negative examples in Scripture. And we have some positive examples that we're going to look at in Scripture. First of all, I'd like to look at Jesus' words in Luke chapter 12. Someone came to Jesus from the crowd. And he said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Let that sink in. Life, Jesus said, life is more than food. It's more than clothing. The body's more than clothing. And life is more than food. Life is more than having stuff. There's so much more to it. And the discontent person spends their life shopping and searching and seeking after possessions that they hope will provide security and satisfaction. They spent the discontent person spends their life seeking for that position that they think will promise significance and happiness in their life. They spend their time looking for that person and looking for that for that position and possessions that they hope will find, will bring them satisfaction in this life. Theologian Derek Kinder said this, if anything is worse than the addiction money brings, it's the emptiness it leaves. If anything is worse than the addiction that money brings, it's the emptiness that it leaves. 
Just think about the very first temptation when God created Adam and Eve and God saw that everything he made was good. Adam and Eve didn't have, um, they, they had their needs taken care of in God. But when, when they believed the lie of Satan, they, when Eve was deceived and Adam just deliberately disobeyed, when they, when they disobeyed God, many problems came into their life and to their marriage, right? And I think a, a, a part of that first temptation that, the, that Satan, the, the, the talking snake, was trying to uh, get Eve to believe was that God was holding out on her. He was, he was sowing seeds of discontentment. You don't really have everything that you need. God knows that if you'll eat that fruit, you'll get something that you really want and need. And, and Satan does the same thing with us. That's why in, in, in James chapter 1, James, when talking about temptation and how sin lures us away and it leads to death, when in talking in that context in James 6, James says, Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, of whom there's no vari variation or shadow of turning from. You see, discontentment is, 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 is discontentment in our life is, is, is doubting the goodness of God. It's failing to believe that God has provided for all our needs and He will provide for all our needs and He's enough for all that we need. Okay? And, and, and so let's be people that guard our hearts and guard our souls, guard from the corruption of covetousness and the love of money because it corrodes our souls and it corrodes relationships. When, when you're in relationship with somebody who's always wanting something else, they're always wanting to be somewhere else, they're always wanting that new thing, right? They're always wanting that, that other position. It, cor it corrodes the soul, but it also corrodes the, the relationships around. It puts pressure, unnecessary, toxic pressure on the, on the soul and the relationships with others. And so let us be a people who guard our hearts from the love of money. Jesus had a lot to say about this because he knows that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus knew that if he's going to get to the heart of people, he had to speak, he had to address one of the greatest things, one of the biggest things that has the hearts of men and women, namely money. He said you can't serve God in money. And we live in a culture that is saturated with materialism and advertisements. Advertisement, advertisers, professional advertisers have become skilled in sowing seeds of discontentment. You watch a commercial and in and, 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 and one minute you realize all of a sudden you need something that you haven't had all your lifetime. And it's only $89 and you can order it right now on Amazon. Right? And so skillful advertisers do that. They, they want you to believe you really need this, right? And so we're bombarded with advertisement. We're, when we scroll Instagram and Facebook, you see, we're tempted often to compare ourselves. Like right now, while it's 100 degrees in Dallas, Texas, 
and it's tough to be outside, you scroll Instagram and Facebook and you see some friends who are in Colorado and the cool air of the mountains, you're like, oh, I wish I was there right now. That's, my, that's a personal confession, right? I, I feel like that every summer. I long to be in Colorado and enjoy the beauty of God's creation. I just feel closer to God when I'm in that cool, glorious atmosphere of mountains. And Anyways, okay. Um, and, and so anyhow, Instagram and, and social media tends to fuel discontentment in our hearts because what happens is instead of, and here's, here's why I think it does that, because I, I think we look at that and instead of rejoicing with that person that they're getting to experience this wonderful thing in Colorado, we, we, we think, oh man, I want that for me. And the Bible tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice. Thanks for that, that extra song there, brother. Uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. We should delight in seeing other people experience God's goodness shower down in their lives. And we should trust that God's going to take care of us. And he's going to provide for us. And that what he's given us today is sufficient. Amen? And so we have some negative examples to learn from. One is Judas. Here's a man who's walking around with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, God in the flesh. He has everything he needs in Jesus, but yet he was a thief. And he was taking from the money bag. He was in charge of it, and he was taking from the money bag. As if that's going to add some kind of happiness to him. And eventually he ended up betraying Jesus for money, for silver. Let us be warned by that example. Demas is another example. The Apostle Paul said in, in 2 Timothy 4, he said to Timothy, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and he's gone to Thessalonica. So he was on mission. He was rolling with Paul. And Paul had some hardships, by the way. And we'll look at Paul's example as a positive one here later. Paul had went through some really difficult times. And many of us probably wouldn't blame him if we look at what Paul went through. We're like, I'm not going to go on that mission trip. This one, that last one was really, really rough. Paul, I didn't think you were going to make it. You got beat down. I didn't think any of us were going to make it. I'm going to skip out on this one, right? Um, but Paul says, Demas, the reason why Demas didn't continue, didn't, didn't continue to roll with Paul was because he was in love with this present world. You see, those who are the discontent person are in love with and attracted to the things of this world. And it lures their heart away. Lures their heart away from God and from his purpose and his mission for their lives. The Apostle John says in 1 John 2 verse 15, Do not love the world or the things of the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. It's of the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the world is passing away in the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God may live forever. So we got Judas, we got Demas, we got, I'm going to just call this guy D, okay? D, in 3 John, D, he, uh, he addresses this guy D. He says, I've written something to the church, that, but D, who likes to put himself first, does, in, does not acknowledge our authority. So here's a guy who's not content with his place in the body of Christ, his position and place in the body of Christ. And so he wants to be in the front instead of being content with where God has placed him. 
okay? So let's talk about what is contentment. We've looked at the negative. We looked at the warning to guard against contentment. Let's look at what it is. Contentment, the Holman, the Holman Standard Bible Dictionary says, Contentment is the internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstances. A, a book uh, by Andrew M. Davis called The Power of Christian Contentment. He wrote that Christian contentment is finding delight in God's wise plan for my life and humbly allowing him to direct me in it. Finding delight in God's wise plan for my life and humbly allowing him to direct me in it. Jeremiah Burroughs, who wrote The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, a Puritan, who lived in the 1600s. Uh, this is this is a this is a classic book, and I start. It's it's meaty. I'm working my way through it right now. Uh, but this is this is how he describes Christian contentment. Contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. That's beautiful. We can just chew on that. Uh, and in his book, the, the, he unpacks each of those little sections and explaining what contentment is. The Easton Bible, Easton Bible Dictionary says, Contentment is a state of mind in which one's desires are confined to his lot, whatever it may be. It is opposed to envy, avarice, ambition, anxiety, repining. It arises from the inward disposition and is the offspring of humility and of intelligent consideration of the rectitude and the big benignity of divine providence, the greatness of the divine promises and our own unworthiness, as well as from the view the gospel opens up to us. Rest and peace hereafter. I know that's a mouthful. I thought about not doing that one, but that's a, that's a great um, loaded description. There's some hard words in there, too. You might need a dictionary, including myself, to look up. Um, so, so here's descriptions of uh, contentment, what it is. Jeremiah Burroughs, in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christianity, he described <clears throat> that a person who's only content with an external thing, and if, if they have that thing that they want, if they're only content with it, they're like a man who, uh, who's, whose clothes are warmed by the fire, right? They're, they're like a man whose clothes are, are warmed by the fire, and as long as they're, they're, they're warm because they've been by the fire, okay? Uh, but, but the one who's content internally, not because of an external thing, they're like the man on a cold day. He puts on the clothes that he has, and the clothes get warm because of his body heat. The sick person whose body heat doesn't regulate properly and who's cold, they need, they need the fire, they need more covering uh, to, to warm up is like that discontent person. You see, God has designed us to find our contentment in Him. In Him and Him alone, not in everything else out there. Because if you're not content with what God has provided you, what you have, if you're not content with what you have, you won't be content with what you want or what you think you want. God's given us enough to be content with what we do have. And so let's look at this next section here. Find contentment in God's promised presence. Here is a key. The verse goes on. It doesn't just give us a negative to say keep your life from 
the love of money from covetousness. This is good. It's important. But it also gives us a positive here. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's why. Here's the secret. Here's the key that Christians have to find contentment. Namely, God's promised presence. God's promised presence. God says, I will be with you always. Everyone else may leave you, but I will be with you. J.I. Packer in his book, Growing uh, growing in, uh, I think it's Growing in Something, uh, he says, to realize the promised presence of one's loving Lord, uh, who both orders one's circumstances and gives strength to cope with them, is the final secret of contentment. To realize the promised presence of one's loving Lord who both orders one's circumstances and gives strength to cope with them is the final secret of contentment. Here's a key here. Recognizing that God is sovereign. That God in his sovereign grace has provided what we have in this life. And so contentment is, is, is waiting and trusting that God has provided enough for us and he will do so. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God alone. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God alone. God is enough. His promised presence is enough. Okay, there was a man in the Bible named Asaph who was really wrestling with discontentment and and particularly envy. He said he became envious of the wicked, of the prosperity of the wicked. In in Psalm 73, verse 3, it it, it bothered his his soul. He he, He was bothered that the wicked seemed to prosper. They seem to do well. They seem to be at ease. And they seem to have everything they need. And he began to question, is it vain for me to live a pure life? Is it vain for me to be devoted to God? Because I'm devoted to God and I'm struggling to make it through this life. And so he struggled with this. He, was, he, fell, in, he fell into the temptation of being envious of the wicked until... Until he went to corporate worship, until he gathered with the people of God and he got perspective in corporate worship as they're singing, as they're reading and preaching of God's word. He was reminded of an eternal perspective and he was reminded of what he has in God and who he is and his relationship to God. And at the end of that psalm, he says this as as he's describing that perspective shift, that paradigm shift. After having been envious of the wicked, seeing the prosperity of the wicked. And he says this, he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and heart and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. For you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of your works. 
here's the beautiful picture of a saint who is struggling with discontentment, a saint who is struggling with envy. And he, he got his perspective renewed by gathering with the people of God in corporate worship. David's another example. David wrote the Psalm, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have everything I need. Here's a guy who was content to be alone with a bunch of stinky sheep when nobody else saw him, content to be alone and just pull out his, his harp and sing to God and enjoy the presence of God out there on the fields. And he lived and lived in this communion with God and this, this contentment in God, this satisfaction in God. Even before he became king and had all the, the, the great riches and the position and the things that he had in this life, he was finding his contentment in God. He was being faithful where God had had him, had him in that season of life. Listen, Psalm 16 says this. David, David wrote, he said, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Does this resonate with you, saints? Can you say that? Or when you read that verse, do you struggle to receive that, embrace that? Or can you wholeheartedly say with David, the Lord is my chosen portion. He is my cup. He holds my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. And indeed, I do have a beautiful inheritance. Or are you focused on the grass being greener on the other side? All right. It's been said that uh, if, if you think the grass is greener on the other side, then water your own. If you think the grass is greener on the other side, then water your own. Amen? Especially right now in this 100, degree, the 100 degrees uh, uh, summer heat. David also says this. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Psalm 131. He says, God, I am not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I have kept my feet on the ground. I have cultivated... A quiet heart, like a baby content with its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now, hope always. I love that. Eugene Peterson just has a way of uh, skillfully paraphrasing familiar truths that we, that we read in Scripture. Um, so we got David's example of finding contentment in God and in the promised presence of God. The next thing is that I would emphasize is to find contentment in God's grace, his promised provision and power, regardless of what circumstance you're in or whether you're abounding with much or you're, 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 you're making it with little. Find contentment in God's grace. The next part of verse 6 in Hebrews 13 says, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is a quote back from Psalm 118. Quoting from the Psalms. And back in Hebrews 4.16, the, the author of Hebrews says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. God's grace is sufficient for you and me. And so we can be content now and we can be content for all eternity. Jerry Bridges in his book, The Practice of Godliness, has a chapter 
on contentment. And he says this. He says that this is the secret of being content. To learn and accept that we live daily by God's unmerited favor given through Christ. That we can respond to any and every situation by his divine enablement through the Holy Spirit. Amen? He also says that the, the contented person experiences the sufficiency of God's provision for his needs. And the sufficiency of God's grace for all circumstance. He believes God will indeed meet all his material needs. And that he will work in all circumstances for his good. That is why Paul could say godliness with contentment is great gain. The godly person has found what the greedy or envious or discontented person always searches for but never finds. He has found satisfaction and rest in his soul. Is your soul content in God? Do you have that quiet, inner, sweet disposition of grace? Because God is enough for you? You know, it's, it's, it's expected that those in the world who don't know God and have a relationship with God would be discontent. Right? Because we're made for God. Uh, St. Augustine said that our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. See, we're made for God. We're made to find our satisfaction and joy and significance and everything in Him. We're made for Him. And so it's expected that those who don't know God to, to live lives of discontentment. But for Christians, for Christians, it's, it's a tragedy for Christians to live life, lives of discontentment. Okay, Because God has provided everything that we need. And contentment, contentment in God is not automatic with conversion. It doesn't come automatic with becoming a Christian. Paul described it as something that he had learned. It's something that has to be acquired, something that has to be learned, and it's something that is possible for every Christian to experience. And when Christians walk in contentment, in satisfaction in God, their souls are quieted and delighted and overflowing with joy in God. It's a witness to the world that God alone can satisfy the human heart. It's a witness to the world of His goodness towards His people. So the, the Greek word that Hebrews uses for be content is archeo, okay? This word is also used in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, when, when Jesus told Paul, Paul pleaded with the Lord three times, take this thorn out of my side, this is hard, okay? It's okay, it's okay to ask. For difficult circumstances to be removed, ask, talk to God about those things. But, but Jesus' response to him three times after he, he did his job in praying about the situation. Okay? Don't complain about it. Pray about it. Talk to God. Right? And, and God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That word archeo that's that's... Uh, translated be content in Hebrews 13 is translated sufficient, to suffice, to be enough in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And so we, 
as saints are to find contentment, our contentment in God's grace. His grace is sufficient no matter where we're at. The grace of God enables us to be who God's called us to be and to do what God has called us to do. Amen? So let's actually look at Paul's that little section where Paul was pleading with the Lord and, and, and see what's going on here. Uh, Paul said, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming seating, conceited. That's the gift that, that nobody asks for, nobody wants, right? Like a thorn in the flesh. Yet, yet we want the fruit of it, right? It's painful. Uh, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, that it should lead me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, my, for my powers made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's grace in our lives is enough. To provide contentment for us to flourish in this life regardless of where we're at or what we're going through. Whether we abound here in this country with much or whether we're serving God in a third world country with very little. His grace is sufficient enough for us. No, no matter where he's leading us or how he's leading us in this life. Paul, in, in, in Philippians 4, he said, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Again, this is something we must learn. Okay? Many, many as, I'm, as I was studying this this week, I just thought, what a precious gem this is that so many just don't know much about. And so many have so much to learn about, including myself. And so I'm reading this book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. And I'm thinking, this is a jewel. This is that, that red diamond, that rare red diamond that's worth $8 million, right? This is, this is a jewel. If we would find this, if we would discover contentment in God, being content with him, Paul said, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's the context of that verse. Um, many athletes use it to win that, that, that game, right? Um, in, in, in quotes too. I can win that game. I can, I can press through. But Paul uses this in the context of being content in difficult circumstances and being content when things are going well. At the end of that chapter, he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Notice he said every need. He didn't say every want. He didn't say every grief. He said every need. Every need, God will give us our daily bread. He'll give us the clothes that we need. And Paul says, with clothes and food, we should be content. All right? He's given us what we need. And this is one of the problems with prosperity preachers today 
that fuel discontentment and covetousness within those who listen to them. Is, is there's this exaltation of having all this stuff if you follow God and you just obey. Well, Paul was obeying God. And he went without a lot of stuff. And he went through a lot of hard stuff. And it wasn't because of disobedience. It was because he was being faithful and obedient to what God had called him to. Amen? And so we should beware and guard against covetousness. Here, here's a, 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 two great quotes from Andrew Davis in The Power of Christian Contentment. Um, he said, it could be that Paul is saying God needs nothing but God in order to exist and thrive as, be, as a being. Nothing in creation needs to come in from the outside of God to sustain his existence. I have learned to be like God in this regard. I need nothing other than God for my continued existence as well. God is God sufficient and so am I. Paul is saying not that he is self-sufficient, but that he is God-sufficient. Believing the secret that I am God-sufficient and it is enough to know that God is with me and loves me gives me a remarkable staying power in serving others. I think many, many marriages would survive and thrive if they would learn this secret. I think many relationships, many folks would stay on the job that they're in if they would learn this secret. Many folks would remain faithful to the assignment that God has given them until he leads them somewhere else if they would learn this secret of contentment. But the discontent person is always looking for that new possession, that new position, that new place, that new person. But God's promised presence is enough for us saints and his grace is enough for us paul said but godliness with contentment is great gain it's great gain when we have godliness and contentment it's great gain the, he says for we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of the world hearst funeral home hearst don't have trailer hitches because they're not linking up a U-Haul trailer to bring those who are in the hearst to the, to the grave with, right? You can't take it with you. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. There's dangers with wealth if we don't use them appropriately. There's a story of a father who was trying to teach his son about contentment. And I didn't print it up. Let me see. Actually, I may have. The father took him, it was a well-off family, and the father took his son on this, uh, on this trip to, to go serve some, a, a, what they considered a poor family. And, and as they, they did, they went on the trip, 
And as they, they left and, and came back, the father asked the son, how, what would you think about, how was the trip? And the son just began to describe what that poor family had and, and what they had. And he said, you know, we have a swimming pool that goes to the garden, but they have a creek that doesn't end, that just keeps going. Uh, we have a, you know, a backyard, but they have just the open fields, right? We have one dog, but they have four. And he just, and the list goes on of, of all the things that this, what they considered a poor family had. And, 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 and he said to his dad at the end of that conversation, he said, Dad, thanks for showing me how poor we are. Thanks for showing me how poor we are. And so there, there, I, I, it's a funny story of how just our perspective can, can be totally off when it comes to riches. When it comes, and, and one of the things I want to encourage you to do this week is to renew your mind with Jesus' perspective concerning wealth and stuff. It's okay to have stuff, but don't let stuff have you. It's okay to have possessions, but don't let those possessions possess you. There's a woman named Fanny Crosby. She was a blind woman. At, I think, six months old or six weeks old, um, there was a, a quack of a doctor that um, put, told her mom to put some kind of hot mustard on her eyes and to help her get better. And she ended up get, getting blinded from that treatment. And when she was eight years old, she penned these powerful words. Eight years old. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and to sigh because I am blind, I cannot and I won't. This woman wrote over 9,000 hymns. And many of those hymns are in hymn books that are still sung today. And they, 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 she, she's had, she had to publish them under different names because she didn't want hymn books to be uh, just, just saturated with her stuff. You know, she was content and not having all the recognition of, for all those hymns. But she was, she had a contract to write like one a day, and she would write more than that. Uh, Fanny Crosby. One of the, the favorite ones that she's written. I got two. Uh, one is Blessed Assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a fortress. Forgot the other part. Foretaste. Oh, glory divine. Angels descending, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. And the chorus, this is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Here was a woman who found contentment in God, who lived her life disabled, not being able to see the world as we see it with our physical eyes. Yet she was able to see and savor God. And that's what a content person does. They see and they savor God for who he is. Discontent people are transient and flighty. 
They are often moving on to the new next thing. They are given to novelty and materialism. And they continue to search for that new person, possession, or position that they think will make them happy. Let us be people who are content. Content people have their hearts established and strengthened in the grace of God. Content people enjoy the presence of God. So in, in application and closing, I'd like to just encourage us with three things here. One, renew your thinking with God's perspective on money. Guard against the love of money and, and, and do so by having your mind renewed. Don't give in to the deceitfulness of riches. Don't give in to what the world tells us about stuff. You need this to be happy and the, and the implications of so much advertisement. Read, read and reflect on Luke 12 and Luke 16 this week. Jesus talked a lot about money because he knows that it has the hearts of so many and, it's, and, it's, and it so subtly gets our hearts. And he said you can't serve God and, and money at the same time. Either you love one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. And then remember that what God has provided, remember all that God has provided for you. Remember, just think about times when you were fretting and you were worrying about how are we going to make it through this circumstance or that circumstance. And God showed up for you to give you what you need in that circumstance. Don't forget his benefits. Don't forget how God has sustained you and his providence. He's provided for you. He's preserved your life. He's come through when you didn't see how he was going to make a way. He made a way for you. And so remember that. Don't forget that. And lastly, rest assured that God will take care of your needs. That, that he has. Remember that he has. And rest assured that he will continue to take care of all your needs. That he will be with you. Amen? And so let us close in prayer. Kevin, would you come on up? I'd like for Kevin and the team to lead us in a response. And I'd like for us to just take, during this song, as we sing to God and as we pray, I want to encourage us, one, if you need to confess discontentment to the Lord, if, that, if you've been walking in that, and it's put pressure on your relationships, it's distracted you from prioritizing God and seeking God, just confess it to God. Confess it to God. I love that God has given us a way to have our sins cleansed. To deal with the sin in our life that corrodes our souls and, and destroys relationships. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can have our sins forgiven. And when we confess those sins, we acknowledge those sins. God says he forgives them and he washes us and he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Jesus died to forgive us of our sins, not our excuses. And when we acknowledge those, we acknowledge where we strayed, He forgives us. And then let's ask God to teach us the secret of contentment. To teach us how to live lives that are full of joy and delight and contentment so that we can be a witness 
to our neighbors and co-workers and family members who don't know God, but they know we do. They know we're Christians. And they need to see that God is enough for us. In the good times and the bad times, in the hard times and the smooth times, God is enough for us. And we're going to be content in Him. And so, Father, we say thank you for providing everything we need in Christ Jesus. You've lavished us down with blessings. So many various graces you've lavished upon our lives. But you've given us yourself as the greatest gift. Keep us from worshiping the lesser gifts of the things that you give us or the positions or even the people that you place in our lives like family and friends. Keep us from worshiping those gifts rather than you to give her. May you have the highest allegiance in our hearts. May you be our greatest treasure. And when we're alone and no one else is around and there's no recognition, there's no attention, may we display contentment with you just knowing you and being known by you.